We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Today, Ross Tucker, my last day at CNN. Um, no more 8 o'clock bedtime. No more 1.30 wake up. No more Excedrin. No more Visine. And hopefully a little happier Dave Briggs in 2020. Yes, I love it. Good for you, man. That's good news. Good news. That job was killing you. I know it's a good job, but wow. Nobody's supposed to wake up at 1.30 a.m. Oh, man. It, it was a rough go. But thanks to all of you who did listen, watch, whatever, my days at CNN. And thank you for being here. Ross will be at the Bills-Patriots game on Saturday. Speaking of arguably the most dedicated and loyal and rowdy fan base in the NFL. Joining us now, out of the gate, Ali Abbas, uh, who is part of the hardcore Bills Mafia. What's up, fellas? So you guys were at the Buffalo airport at 2 a.m. in the sub-freezing temperatures after the Bills clinched a playoff spot. Why the hell did you go to the airport at 2 a.m. in the freezing cold. Well, it all was my buddy's ex over here. It was his idea. And after uh, Josh Allen touched down, he just said, hey, we actually have a chance of going to the playoffs, so let's go to the airport. That, yeah, that's how it happened. Josh scored his touchdown, and there, there were four of us sitting right here. Um, we got done we got done celebrating, jumping up and down, and I was kind of like, you know, let's, let's go to the airport if we win. You know, there's going to be people there, so might as well. Let me take a step back. How old are you guys? Well, uh, I'm 19. I'm 21. Okay, so I guess you're lifelong Bills fans, but that's what, about like 15 years? <laughs> well, uh, I just got in the United States in late 2012, and I just got uh, into the football and the Bills like a couple years ago with the help of my buddy Zach Mitch, Alex Clown, Kevin Lavelle. Nice. Nice shout-outs, by the way. That's key. you got to shout-out your boys when you get on a show like this. So I like it. All right, so you guys haven't even been like – you're not even really long-suffering Bills fans. You're not even like – you haven't even seen most of the 20 years since they've had 10 wins in 1999. That's that's fair, uh, especially especially with, you know – sorry, Ellie. With me, with me living here my whole life, you know – Ross, to be fair, it, it it is you know long suffering because all all I've known is is losing until you know we broke the drought on 2017. Um, and I think part of the part of the reason why I wanted to go to the airport is because we didn't go the first time. So I you know I knowing knowing we couldn't pass this one up had to go. Where does Ross Tucker rank in the all time Buffalo Bills legends to you? <laughs> Dave, you're putting me on the spot here, man. Ross, Dave, don't do that. What, listen fair. to me. He's 19. He's 19. He was born in 2000. Okay? When I was there in 2003 through 2005, he was three to five years old. He never even saw me play. You guys need to Google or YouTube or something. I, you guys are making me feel old as shit. I hate both of you now immediately. 
I love Bill's Mafia, but I hate you two. Look at, I always say you can't please everyone, so. <laughs> That's all right. All right. All right. So here's the coolest thing. Uh, well, there's a lot of cool things about this selfie you guys got with Josh Allen, the quarterback of the Bills. Number one, how did you get Josh's attention? Did you ever imagine that he would take the phone and get the selfie? And then I want to talk about what happened with that selfie next. Zach, to you. Um, I put, uh, so as the charter was pulling up, um, I didn't have enough battery life on my phone. So I wanted to get, I wanted, you know, have someone record, you know, the guys getting off the plane and stuff. So I, uh, uh, we broke, me and Ali broke off from our other two buddies, Alex and Kevin, uh, that were mentioned earlier. Um, and we, uh, I, I put them up on my shoulders and was like, you know, can you, can you, you know, record them getting off the plane for us? And um, we noticed that uh, along the second fence there, there was, uh, you know, less of a crowd. So probably within the first five minutes, we walked, you know, I, with them on my shoulders, walked, uh, you know, walked over there to, you know, kind of get a better view of them walking into the building. And uh, Josh was one of the last ones off the plane. And um, from, from what I could tell from, you know, my vantage point and later seeing the video from the Bills, um, it was just kind of a, a quick gesture, you know, uh, uh, to, you know, grabbing the phone and, and taking the pictures and giving it back. I don't really know if he said anything to, to, to us, but yeah, it was just, it, it, and it all happened so quick. It, it was just crazy. So this thing ends up in a gallery at the Albright Knox gallery in Buffalo. And there's a picture, not just of the selfie, but of the tweet screenshot whole thing how did this thing wind up in a gallery and how cool is that for you guys well those like really like surreal moment this is like when me and zach like just realized hey we hit it like we're the bills mafia they actually cut my face but it's cool i'm still <laughs> made it you know my hashtag is over there so still got love for them you know pretty boy dave okay he's not buying this bills team at all He's not nope. buying Josh Allen at all. Nope. I told nope. him, look, you can win this way. You can win with defense. You can win. Look, look, he he got a Broncos thing on. He thinks the Bills have no shot at doing anything in the playoffs. So please, I'll give you the floor. Call him a loser. Tell him he needs facial hair, whatever you'd like to do. Or just tell him he's wrong about the Bills and why. I mean, this – We've seen it on Sunday night. We saw it on Thanksgiving Day. This defense is for real, um, you know, and we've seen uh, the offense. I mean, Allen has his ups and downs, um, but our running game has, you know, been growing. Devin Singletary is getting better and better you, every week. You're putting me to sleep. You're putting me to sleep, Al. You're not convincing me I'm okay. wrong. Okay. I mean, wearing a Bronco sweatshirt, we smoked them. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. You know Tom Brady owns the Bills because Josh Allen is just mediocre. It's just what he is, Zach. He threw three interceptions the last time against the Patriots, and he will do it again, and that's why the Patriots will kick their ass tomorrow, and Tom Brady will go to 32-3 and against your team. Tell me how I'm wrong, Zach. Shit. <laughs> 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 No injury is more important in the NFL this weekend than the AC joint of Dak Prescott. Jerry Jones says he's not worried about Dak playing at the Eagles on Sunday. And Dak says 
He'll be good to go. Cowboys now just a one and a half point favorite. Um, interesting sound emerging from our friends at WIP Sports Radio in Philadelphia. Michael Irvin was on talking with the fellas about all things Cowboys and Eagles and was asked about Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott and went into the leadership of Dak Prescott. Obviously said that's the quarterback he'd prefer in that matchup. But why is very interesting. Listen to the former Cowboys great, the Hall of Famer, Michael Irvin on WIP. Which quarterback would you rather have in this game, Carson or Dak? I, and, I, and I do like both of those quarterbacks. I know, you know, people, Car, Dak has way more wins right now. I was studying that the other day than Carson Wentz. And, and, and I love Dak. I love Dak Prescott. I love, him from his, I love him for what he does on the football field. But even more than that, his leadership, the team loves playing for him. Um, you know, and mm. not, not even mention that, that he's a mixture of two races and, and, and it's, it, it's, it's a subliminal of what good comes from us racy up from, from races mixing together that, you know, I, I love that about that. Mm. And, and both respond to him in that locker room, the black athlete, the white athlete, both respond to him. Well, that's Michael Irvin, the hall of famer on WIP sports radio in Philadelphia. And Ross, I got to tell you, I heard that yesterday and I thought, huh? Why did he bring in race? Because to me, what I heard there is, do the black players not relate well to Carson Wentz? It felt like to me, that's what Irvin was trying to subtly suggest. Or did I take that totally out of context? I think you took that out of context. I I didn't get that sense at all. Now, when I saw it in print, I thought, that's kind of a weird thing to say on Philly radio when there had been some, you know, chatter about Wentz's leadership and some guys speaking out. It's a weird thing for him to say. I don't even and know to be honest with you how familiar. Right. right. I don't they even were know how players, familiar yeah. Michael Irvin is or was with hmm. those stories in Philadelphia. And hearing him now, I don't think it had anything to do with that at all. I think he just feels like Dak is a tremendous leader for the Cowboys, and it's a big reason for their success, and that uh, you know both the white guys and the African-American guys, that they all really respect him. And I guess Michael Irvin's hypothesis is that Dak being of mixed race, that that contributes to that positively. I guess my big takeaway, Dave, is it's kind of a weird thing to say. It's a weird thing to bring up. You don't talk about stuff like that very often. And frankly, I disagree with him. You know, whether Dak was white, African-American, or mixed race, I feel like the way he goes about his business, playing every week, being durable, being a good player, I feel like that is why he's a good leader and respected by the guys I don't think anybody's sitting there, certainly not yeah. consciously, and thinking, well, he's he's mixed race, and I like that part of him is my I, – I, I don't really understand that one. Well, you're the perfect guy to talk to about this, and I have two questions. And number one, you're very close to this Philadelphia team. You not only live in Pennsylvania, you cover this team, you've been on the sidelines and in the booth. You've heard some of the suggestions about players relating to or friction between Carson Wentz and certain skill players. One, 
do you believe that and why is that? And two, in your playing career as an offensive lineman, did you ever see a divide between the way a quarterback is able to lead and the way the players were able to respond to that quarterback? Did you ever see a split by race? And that's why those words really caught me off guard. No, you know what? I'm thinking, Dave, about the different teams I was in, and I and I never, I, I never noticed that. I never, that was never an issue. Now we didn't have a lot of situations where perhaps there was a quarterback competition between a white quarterback and an African American. It sounds like there have been times on other teams that that has been the case, and that there has kind of been a divide in the locker room, somewhat along racial lines. You know, I, I'm thinking back to the, some of the quarterbacks I had, you know, guys like Tony Banks and Quincy Carter. And I don't really remember that ever being an issue, at least not that I noticed. You know what I mean? I was 22, 23 and, you know, trying to do my job. Certainly not at least that I noticed at all. As for the Eagles, there's been speculation as to who the anonymous source has been. And I don't know if it's multiple guys, Dave, or just one guy who just wants the ball more or just one guy that feels like maybe Wentz does not heed his input as much as he would like. I, I really don't know, but I, I think you get into a difficult spot commenting on anonymous sources, especially mm-hmm. trying to tie race into it. I mean, that we, we get a whole lot of um, gray matter ambiguity there commenting on anonymous guys that we think might be of a certain race. We don't even know who they are. That th- I mean, I think I think we're kind of off the uh, off the off the rails a little bit on that one. You won't find a more important regular season game than what happened last night in Milwaukee between the Lakers and the Bucks. And this is one of the few games that I hope you all stayed up for. It sure as hell was worth it if you did not. We're going to break it down now with our good friend Steve Cerruti, the host of Scallon Pals on the Radio.com app. Steve, good to see you, my friend. Happy Friday. I was so excited for this basketball game. I don't get really excited for regular season NBA games, but it sure felt like a playoff game. And, And you tell me, it felt like to every player on both of those teams, this was a very important statement game. Yeah, well, thanks, guys, for having me on. It's great to be on the show. Um, I will say, you know, for all those people that missed maybe Thursday night football in the NFL, you were treated with what was a great game last night on a Thursday night. So I hope all those people that were, you know, that that didn't get to see like a Jaguars-Titans game were excited about uh, a really good matchup in the NBA. And uh, so, listen, yes, it was a playoff atmosphere. It was a lot of fun. I said yesterday on, on our show that I thought it meant I thought it probably meant more to the Bucks. I don't think the Lakers really have anything to prove. I mean, there are people that are going to be out there and say that, you know, Anthony Davis – uh, has only won one playoff series in his career, and which is accurate, but he's really never had the, the the team around him or obviously play with a guy like LeBron James. So I don't think they had a ton to prove, but I do think that they wanted to go out and show. I think LeBron wants to win the MVP this year. I wanted, I think he wanted to show that he was still maybe a better player than Giannis, and Giannis really stole the show last night. And 
the Bucks are a really impressive team. We look at them and we go, oh, it's just Giannis and a bunch of guys. But I do like those bunch of guys. I mean, they don't have an Anthony Davis. They don't have another superstar. But they, they, they are really deep. They've got a lot of guys that can just knock down shots. And not a lot of teams in the league can say that. So, yes, it was a playoff atmosphere last night. I was really impressed with the Bucks, And most importantly, I was really imp- impressed with Giannis, a guy who is probably looking like he's going to repeat as MVP this year, knocking down five of his eight threes. And a lot of them from, like, you know, deep, deep, 27-plus feet. So it was a hell of an atmosphere last night, a great win for the Bucs, and in and, and a, a, a game that I think the Bucs probably wanted to win a little bit more than the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. It just it just felt really important to both of these teams. And look, LeBron has made no secret. This regular season really matters to him. He's not going with the load management thing. But the question I have about this Lakers team is obvious, and it's off the bench. It was 34-4, to Bucks bench scoring over the Lakers. How much of a weakness is that a liability for this Lakers team? I think it's a little bit of a liability. I mean, obviously they didn't have Kyle Kuzma last night, who um, you know is arguably a starter or a bench player, depending on you know what what the matchup is. And I think you know he would knock somebody else to the bench. They've got they're okay. I mean, I think they're they're they are actually probably deeper than I thought. Their front court, obviously with Dwight Howard coming off the bench, Javale McGee is really good. I think they could probably use another reliable scorer, playmaker type. I mean, because you wouldn't look at Rajon Rondo as that way. Contavious Caldwell Pope's not a guy. I mean, he had I, he's had some good games uh, recently, and he's looked better than maybe a lot of people thought that he. Would would be. Uh, but I do think they could probably use another scoring option playmaker off the bench. I mean, obviously, Andre Iguodala is the guy that everybody's talking about when it comes to the trade deadline. The, the, the Grizzlies are still holding out hope that they can get it. They're, they're probably going to get it. Uh, they they, they want to get something back from him. They're not just going to buy him out. And he's probably the number one name for both the Clippers and the Lakers as a guy to bring in a veteran who can, you know, he's versatile on both sides of the ball. Um, but I think the Lakers probably need him a lot more than the Clippers do. So I, I think it is a problem, but uh, we always knew this. I mean, the Lakers are going to be run. They, they are run by their two stars. They're run by Anthony Davis and they're run by LeBron James. And everything that, that, that the Lake, all the Lakers success that they have is set up by those two guys. And they had okay games last night, not great. Anthony Davis was not great from three. LeBron had a triple-double, but I still think that he wasn't playing to peak LeBron that we've seen this year. So I think they're just going to – I mean, they could certainly use another guy off the bench some more scoring, but I think they're just – they're going to live and die off of those two guys. And, I mean, I had them in the finals. I had them winning the finals because I think that they, I think they're the best duo in the league, and I just, I'm going to ride with those guys the you know for, for, for the whole year. But um, I think, you know, I, they could use a guy. I don't know if they'll get one, but I don't think it's necessarily an Achilles heel that they don't have enough scoring off the bench. So, Rudy, good to talk with you, man. I enjoyed uh, listening to you from time to time at your previous stop. So, congrats on the Thank gig you. at Radio.com Sports, and good to actually get a chance to talk with you. So, you know I'm an NFL guy. I'm a football guy. I don't really get into the NBA until after the Super Bowl, if we're being honest. I mean, I pay attention. I know what's going on. But part of that also, Saruti, is so often – it feels like regular season games don't mean that much. I know you said that it means more for the Bucks than it does for the Lakers, but can you sell me on it really meaning anything? I mean, we already know they're both good. They're in different conferences. We already know they're both going to at least probably be in the conference finals in their respective conferences. So I guess I'm having a tough time really caring about that, <laughs> that much about last night's game. Tell me if I'm wrong. No, I mean that's you're right. That is that is sort of the problem with the league is that the, the regular season has been completely devalued. It's all about championships. It's almost like the jordification of 
of, of, of sports, really, and specifically the NBA, where it's like nothing else matters but winning titles. And the one thing that I'll push back on you with, like, you're 100% right. Like, both of these teams are probably going to be in the conference finals. I, I had Bucks lakers as the final. I don't think necessarily a Bucks win means anything. It means that, you know, it's not going to mean anything come June if these two teams meet, uh, meet up in the finals. I will say that LeBron, I think, going into this year, does care about the regular season more than he might have in the past because this is the first this is the first summer where I think you know maybe since the Steph Curry couple years when he won back-to-back MVPs where people are really questioning whether or not LeBron had lost a step or whether or not he was still the best player in the league obviously Kawhi is coming off of a finals win and a finals MVP you've got Giannis who's the reigning MVP and people are saying hey is is LeBron still that dude can he still be that dude so from a from a fan perspective, all right, yeah, maybe this game it, it won't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things because I think by the time these two teams, if they do end up playing in June, they're probably gonna they're probably gonna be different teams by then. But I do think from a player's perspective, I think LeBron cares. I think he wants to win the MVP this year. I think he's he would be 34. I think he'd be the second or third oldest guy to win it, and he wants to. I mean, you see it on Instagram and Twitter all the time, guys. He's doing the the hashtag Wash King thing. Like he hears the narrative about him not being as good as he uh, people thinking he's not as good as he used to be. So I do think he cares about the regular season and Giannis as well. Giannis has said multiple times, load management, I don't care, I want to play, I'm playing, I'm playing, and he has to this point sort of proved that correctly. Really the only team that is aggressively load managing players right now is the is the Clippers and with you know, obviously it's with Kawhi Leonard and and uh, Paul George. And Paul George is coming off a shoulder injury. So you're right in that it doesn't really mean anything in the, in the grand scheme of things, but I think it was just a game that we can enjoy and hopefully something that we could look forward to come June when we maybe see these teams in the finals. Talking to Steve Cerruti, the host of Scallon Pals. It looks like the experiment is beginning to work. Rockets over the Clippers in Los Angeles tonight. And you know, last night, and it's amazing with Harden these days. He puts up 50 points. No one even blinks. How do you put his offensive greatness in perspective? And is that experiment beginning to work? Are they a legit contender in the West? Uh, I would say no to the last to the last question there. I, you know, listen, yeah. I, I was so I thought that they would be a really good regular season team. I think Mike D'Antoni has proven Rockets head coach has proven that he's been able to get the most out of his teams in the regular season, even if the if the pieces don't necessarily fit. My question about the Rockets has always been in the playoffs and whether or not Russell Westbrook is going to hit open shots. And he hasn't yeah. really done it a ton this year because we, we know what's going to happen come playoff time. Um, the, the defense ramps up, the rotations shrink, and those two are going to have to probably be on the court together maybe more than they are right now. And the ball is going to be in James Harden's hand. It's going to be in J- James Harden is the guy. He's the he's a, he's an MVP. Um, he's the he's the scoring champion. Like that is the leader of the Rockets team. He the ball is going to be in his hands no matter what. And yeah, there are going to be times when Russ is going to do his thing. But for the most part, Russ is going to have to hit open shots in the playoffs, specifically open threes in the playoffs. And for the last four years, Russ has just not been able to do that. He's a bad spot up shooter. Um, I mean, he's a bad shooter in general, really. I know he's kind of figured it out a little bit lately, but in the early part of that season, it was looking horrific. So I just I have major questions about how that team fits together uh, in the playoffs. I, I think they're going to be a good regular season team. They'll probably figure out they'll probably end up finishing as a top four seed in the Western Conference just because of how talented they are and with the system that Dan Tony runs. But I just I. You know, and I, I'm a I'm a Russ apologist, guys. Like I, I I really am. I mean, I I love watching him. I know the flaws are there. I just love how hard he plays. Um, and even if even if he's a flawed player, I still respect the heart and hustle that he brings there. But I just don't see him hitting hitting enough open shots come playoff time for this team to really go on a title run. All right, so I want to stay on Harden Saruti for a second because I I find him fascinating. Everything about him, the style of play. So he has the ball in his hands all the time. 
you know, they don't let you be as physical as on defense as they used to back in the day. And he either creates for himself or creates for somebody else. Like, are you blown away by what he's able to do night in, night out? Or do you look at it and say, you know what? I could name 10 guys now and over the course of the last 20 years that could do the same thing if they happen to be the guy that D'Antonio said, uh, Mike D'Antonio said, Here, you're, you're the guy. Here you go, Mike D'Antonio. Here, you're my guy. It feels like whoever he appoints as the guy is almost able to do this or something close to this. You're right. I mean, look at Steve Nash and, and those Phoenix Suns teams in the 2000s. I mean, he would turned him in, not that Steve Nash wasn't a great player, but turned him into a two-time MVP because of how great his system is. I, Scal gets mad at me because I... I hate watching James Harden. I really do. I, it's not that I don't respect his game. I just, I hate watching, there's no ball movement. It doesn't look like any of the players are really that engaged. I mean, other than like PJ Tucker, <laughs> everyone's basically just standing on the three-point arc waiting for the ball to yeah. maybe come to them. And it's really hard. I mean, I mean, listen, it's really hard if, you, if you're, if you're playing your, if you're playing your ass off on defense and you're, and you're, you know, make, you know, making multiple efforts to try to do things and you're not getting the ball on offense. That's a really hard thing over the course of 82 games to do, to not get rewarded for the things that you're doing on the other side of the court. So, you know, I, you know, it seems like those guys, like they, they, they like Harden. I'm not saying they don't like Harden or anything like that or don't like playing with him, but that does wear on you. And, you know, the scoring is great, okay? I, I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm not going to sit here and try to downplay it, but if you look at the, adva uh, the advanced numbers, Giannis is just as great per 36 minutes at scoring as, as James Harden is. They're both averaging about a point per possession. So Giannis is just playing less minutes. So it's not like, you know, if, if Giannis wanted to go out and average 40, Giannis could probably go out and average 42. Now it would, it would look like a very different 40. A lot of that would be, you know, dunks and, and just being dominant in the paint, whereas Harden's obviously doing a lot of that from the outside. Um, so it, it is great, but it's not like it's unprecedented. And again, I don't want to be a hater, but I guess I'm going to come off as being a hater. We've seen it. We've seen it fail multiple times in the playoffs. We've seen this style yeah. and his style fail miserably many times, whether it's being up three, two against the Rockets, whether it's game six against the Spurs. Um, what was that? You know, five, six years ago where he just was a complete no show. Um, there, and there's a number of different reasons for why that is the case. Now, do I think they're incapable of winning a title? No, I think James Harden's good enough to yeah. win a title, but I don't think. And I'll say this, Ross, to your point, too. I don't think there are like a handful of other guys that can do what Harden is doing right now. My, my point, though, is that I don't know if what he's doing equates to winning championships. And I think at the end of the day, that's the biggest problem with his game. James Wiseman is done at Memphis after three games. He's a 20 and 10 guy, but he only played three games. We believe he is a top three pick in the NBA draft. He gets the 12 game suspension because of Penny Hardaway giving him 11 five when he was a high school coach. Well, Penny is a booster because he gave a million dollars to the alma mater Memphis, where he is now the head coach. My question to you is, what does the NCAA learn here? They chase away a premier talent who basically says, I'm not going to pay back $11,500. I'm going to do what's best for the business of James Wiseman. Is this a breaking point for the NCAA? And what is your takeaway from this whole mess? 
Well, I don't know if it's a breaking point because I think there's it's already there, it's already in the works to sort of have this one and done thing go away because it's clearly not working. Um, these guys don't want to be in college, and I don't. I'm, I'm not blaming them. I don't. I, if they don't want to be there, there's no reason why we, why we should make them go to college when in just about every other walk of life you're able to go pro, and if you're good enough, you're able to go pro. Now a lot of guys, we see a lot of other guys going overseas. Um, the one thing that I think the NBA is going to want to do in the next couple of seasons, and I think it's I think they want to do this in probably by 2022 is what uh, is what we've heard is that they're going to basically open up the G League and make that make more two-way contracts and have guys go straight to the league, maybe not straight to the NBA, but into the G League where they can get paid, they can play professional basketball and sort of work their way up and not have to go the college route. I don't understand guys the you know, I'm not and I'm not one of these people that's like an NCAA hater, but I also don't understand mm-hmm. what the point of them going after guys like James Wiseman is. Like yeah. do they like you, we all the people that want to watch the NCAA tournament want to watch a team like Memphis that with James Wiseman, this skilled 7-footer who Potentially could be the number one pick in the draft. We don't know. I mean, it's kind of up in the air whether it's, you know, LaMelo Ball, obviously, who's playing overseas, um, the kid from Georgia. So there's, it, it is sort of up in the air, and he's one of the most skilled guys. You want you want to see that guy in March Madness. So why why the NCAA goes out of their way to sort of try to, you know, punish this guy and kick him out, it, it just it doesn't make any, any, any real sense to me. But, but we have to remember, it is an NBA rule. The one-and-done rule is an NBA rule. It is not an NCAA rule. So... Technically, it is the N- the NBA that is putting the NCAA in this position. Now, the NCAA isn't, doesn't help themselves by any means by the way that they sort of legislate and, and give out punishments for it. But, I, you know, whether or not... Whether or not uh, Penny Hardaway was a booster or not for James Wiseman, like who cares? Like all we want to do as basketball fans is watch him play. And I don't blame him whatsoever for just saying, you know, I don't need you guys. Screw this. I'm going to go and work out on my own because that's not going to hurt his draft stock. Like NBA teams and NBA guys that are that that that, that have top five or so picks aren't going to look at this and go, oh, he's a quitter. He quit at Memphis. They're going to go, yeah, it's a stupid system and he's super talented. So we're going to take him anyway because we're going to take the talent and try to get him in our building. So the NCAA is really only shooting themselves in the foot here. They're not harming anybody else. And I don't don't understand why they keep doing this, but it looks like there is some sort of end in sight for that uh, coming in 2022. I hate to keep agreeing with you, Matt, but the only one who's hurt here are we the fans because he's one of a handful of players in college basketball right now that I want to see play. I don't, I mean, we don't know the names of these guys. Number one teams get knocked off on a regular basis right now by unranked teams. There are a handful of guys Mm -hmm. we want to see play. The NCAA is the reason we're not. It sucks. And I'll and I'll say this really quick too. I mean, just just yeah. just for a, a pro NCA, I guess, argument. And it's not really a pro argument, but I know like these these kids do benefit from going to college in some ways. Like look at look at Zion Williamson last year. And Ross, I'd be interested to get your perspective on this. But like Zion Williamson is not Zion Williamson right now. The 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 multi-million dollar Nike endorsement and the, the basically the the you know the, the the famous guy, one of the most famous basketball players on earth if he didn't go to Duke last year, right? Like Duke helped him make his image what it is now. So it's not like these colleges, it's not like these kids get nothing out of the college. And if if Wiseman went on a deep run in March and they end up cutting down the nets and winning a final four, maybe winning a national championship, his stock goes up because of that. And and it wouldn't do that if he was playing in Australia or Italy or wherever some of these guys are playing or in the G League, for example. So there is a benefit to playing in the NCAA. I am obviously pro. I think these guys should be able to make money off their likeness. I'm not really sure about paying athletes. I'm not sure how we would really get there financially but we, we also shouldn't pretend even though the NCA is kind of shooting themselves in the foot we, we, we can't pretend that the NCA doesn't help these kids as well so Rudy it's a really good point uh Zion used Duke's brand and Duke's national TV exposure to make tens of millions of dollars 
that he otherwise wouldn't have. And he earned it, and he's awesome. And, yes, he should still switch to tight end, but that's another story for another day. (laughs) Um, But I love that dude. Uh, But he doesn't become the star he became if he's playing somewhere else. Now, Wiseman, they say he might be the number one pick. So I don't know if playing this year would have helped his draft stock per se, but absolutely in terms of branding and marketing. Plus, what people forget, Sarudi, is these guys go to a whole semester of college. That's like eight credits towards their degree. <laughs> they're killing it. They're, I'm sure. I'm sure they're taking advanced level, you know, uh, AP classes. I mean, well. they're they, the they are classes. only. They, they are only three and a half years away from their degree after yep. they stop going to class in January. Think about that. I mean, they, wow. they are getting. They're getting. 12 credits of legitimate college education, too. (laughs) Right, right. You know, it was a very interesting point you made about Zion. And you're right. And and Wiseman, quite frankly, because of all this controversy, is now the biggest name in college basketball. It's been really awesome having you on, brother. We appreciate the time. And we will be watching the show in, what do we got, Uh, just a couple of hours. Steve Cerruti from Scal and Pals on the Radio.com app. Uh, good luck with Steph Curry. Thank you. I just looked it up, so you guys kind of ruined my morning, but I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, then I should say you're welcome, Steve. Good to have you, my friend. Merry Christmas. Thanks, guys. You too. Happy holidays. Take it easy, guys. Real quickly, Ross, we got to get to a break. Did Did you see what's out there about Steph Curry? After you said it to him, I uh, I Googled it. I, I, I know why he's trending. I did not try to look up the pictures of why he's trending. For people that are listening or watching us live, I feel like we should probably tell them there are pictures on the internet that are supposedly of Steph Curry's penis. There is some debate whether or not it's really his penis. (laughs) And it's about all I have to say. It hasn't been good for the Eagles against the Cowboys in Philadelphia. It has been downright ugly. Dallas has won 8 of 10 against the Eagles in Philly. So they are not just desperate for a win because it gets them into the postseason, because it's Dallas, and because they've been beat down by Dak Prescott and even by Jason Garrett in Philly. So the question to WIP Sports Radio in Philadelphia was presented What would you sacrifice? What would you do? What would you give up for your team to win this game and have a clear path to the postseason? Angelo Cataldi from WIP made his sacrifice apparent here. I hereby pledge if the Eagles win Sunday, Ava Graham has agreed to go into the uh, commode right over there, Al, the Mm -hmm. little bathroom, Mm -hmm. and to rinse my hair out in lime Kool-Aid. Oh, gosh. And they said it takes about a week for the green to leave. Really? For a week. I will walk around. Green hair? With green hair. Nice. Mm. All right? What are you giving up? What are you doing? What's I, your sacrifice? I would give up my career. Wow. wow. What do you? What's your career? Uh, I currently work uh, as a tow truck driver for a company, but I've invested a lot of my own time and money into my career to better myself and to make sure I'm safe on the highway. What are you willing to sacrifice? 
I'm willing to sacrifice not supporting the Eagles financially. In other words, wow. I haven't bought one Christmas present that has an Eagles logo on it. I haven't, you know, because, you know, they're just not supporting us. So I, I, my question to you is, is it, do I have to give it up? What are you giving up? I'm going to say something realistic. Good. Because I'm not giving up sex and I'm not giving up my job. Good. So I'm going to say I'll give up fantasy football, my one obsession. That way I don't have to root for any other teams except for the Eagles. WIP Sports Radio in Philadelphia. I listened to the fellas this morning, and most of the callers seem to suggest their happy or sad Christmas depends largely upon the outcome of Sunday's football game. You gotta love Philadelphia. They have a spirit unrivaled. All right, speaking of that matchup, let's bring in our good friend Corey Majors from 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Corey, good to see you, brother. Ross Tucker, Dave Briggs. I don't know if you heard. Angelo Cataldi said he would dye his hair green with Kool-Aid. Now, I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently it takes a couple of weeks to wash that out. So the only question to you is, Corey, are you willing to dye your hair blue, blue raspberry Kool-Aid, if the Cowboys win? Um, no, because uh, because oh. the Cowboys still have to give against the Redskins next week. Here's the deal, guys. We have this thing called the Wheel of Misfortune, which basically made the KNC Masterpiece famous around here. And the last one that I did, I said that Ezekiel Elliott would, uh, would sign. We'd know by week three of the preseason whether or not he'd sign his contract. And I said if he, we didn't know, I'd drink a can of armadillo milk. Well, I got the armadillo. I see you drinking your coffee now. I got that armadillo milk, and it was expired. But since I uh, since I had already said I would do it, I felt like I had to do it. It was curdled, and it was terrible. And that's the last oh. time I ever made that kind of bet. So oh. I'm not going to do that anymore. Oh, all right, so God. first of all, I didn't even know they had armadillo milk. What the hell are you talking about? Uh, when you go down to San Antonio, man, uh, you go on the river walk down there. They have all sorts of stores you can go into and find just the craziest stuff from this great state of Texas. Holy wow. crap. Wow, including armadillo milk. Now, why didn't you buy fresh armadillo milk if you're going to drink armadillo milk? I didn't. Well, first off, I just grabbed the can because I was like, hey, we'll need this at some point for our show. We're crazy like that. So I just grabbed a can out of nowhere. And then later on down the road, that was when the decision was made to go ahead and pursue something like this. So just because I had the can, I didn't even I didn't even look. I found out later and it looked like, you know, it looked like blue cheese dressing. It was terrible. Oh, oh. curdled armadillo milk, man. That is just <laughs> wretched stuff from Corey Majors, 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. All right, we got to talk about the most famous injury in the NFL right now, which is the sprained AC joint of Dak Prescott. Number one, the obvious is, what are you hearing about it? How healthy is it? And two, what did you make of all the revelations from the Cowboys about the starting quarterback? I'm used to, you know, Patriots-like cover-up of all injuries, why did they reveal so much? Yeah, Jason Garrett never talks about anything. Like he, he never gives you anything in any of his press conferences. So we were pretty shocked whenever you wake up uh, that morning and you hear Tyron Smith has an eye problem, which it was a sty. Uh, and, you know, I'll put a warm compress on it. You're going to be okay. But then he follows that up with, and Dak Prescott's having a hard time. And then you're like, hold on, what, what's going on with his throwing shoulder? Hold on, what? And so when Jason Garrett reveals something like that, 
your first thought is panic. And then your second thought is, hey, is, is this a bit of a rope-a-dope? But we talked with Jerry Jones yesterday about it, and he was like, look, it's, it's as serious as you think it is, but also this guy's going to be ready to play. These guys that play in the NFL typically – they they're tough guys. They're 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 strong guys. They'll do everything that it takes to play on Sunday. And this is a, a very special game, a very big game. And if Dak can move his arm, he'll be out there, uh, you know, tore it all, whatever it takes to get the inflammation down and then not feel the pain on game day. So what is the deal, though, Corey, with, you know, Amari Cooper saying, yeah, in the huddle, Dak told me it's an RPO, but I'm not throwing it. And then Zeke's like, yeah, it's his AC joint. I like, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a team be this outgoing and forthright with an injury to a player. It's kind of bizarre to me. Is this what it's like every week there among the players, just talking about each other's injuries and telling you all these kind of details? Or is this like unprecedented this week? Well, and that, that's that's curious, too, because this morning I was watching a video of Amari Cooper talking uh, about um, about when he had an AC joint injury and how they were like, oh, well, if, could you throw a ball? And he was like, I'm not a quarterback, so I've never tried to throw it as a quarterback. I was always just handing the ball off to somebody. But he said the biggest thing was that whenever you get tackled, you feel it. Uh, you feel it for about a minute and a half, and then it kind of goes away after that. So that's a big question of how the Cowboys would do it, you know, how they're going to manage something like that if it's real. Uh, maybe it sets up perfectly for a, a run, run, play action uh, that could be big down the field, and then that could get the Cowboys off to something early, you know, if they get the coin flip right, right out of the gate. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, you know, that's, that's just kind of it – is, it is very abnormal for the Cowboys to be this open about things, but the players, when you're talking to Zeke, he's, he's pretty open about everything except for the situation he had, you know, before where it was legal stuff. But most of the time, Zeke's pretty, he's an open book. Amari Cooper gives you well thought out stuff. So, uh, you know, and hearing Dak say, I'm going to be good to go, that puts a lot of, that's what we're going to ask today is, does that make you feel better about this or does it make you feel like it's going to be worse off and Dak's just out there with a bad arm? So we'll find out though. That's the, that's the curious part of it. He hasn't thrown all week. Uh, does he need yeah. to throw in order to be uh, in, in tune with his receivers and his tight ends and his running backs? Or does he have everything in, locked in step? If he's not throwing, we'll, that's, we're going to see that today, whether or not he actually gets a chance to do it. He threw a couple short passes yesterday. Maybe they feel like they can take advantage of some screen game uh, with, with Dak this week, too. I'm all for transparency, but that is way too much transparency when you're talking about your starting quarterback's injured shoulder. Dallas needs 24 plus points because when they score 24 plus points, they are seven and zero, And when they're under that number, they are zero and seven. I'm surprised Corey, this is a one and a half point spread Cowboys favored. I don't know where Philadelphia is better on the entire roster. Maybe their offensive line is a little bit better than the Dallas offensive line, but it is a far better Cowboys roster. In my estimation, they should win this game by 10 points is Jason Garrett's job on the line Sunday. I don't know about Sunday because again, the Redskins game is an opportunity to, to get into the playoffs. And I've said all season that a, this was going to be the NFC East championship and it was going to come down to this. The Cowboys could get in as an eight and eight team. And, uh, and that there was a, that there was no chance that he was going to be fired from this job 
until they were mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. And so far, they're not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Therefore, he still has his job. Jerry's Jerry loves Jason Garrett. He wants to give him every opportunity that he can, but he's frustrated by the fact that this team is at a certain level of talent. And you're right. When I look at the, the Eagles team, without Lane Johnson, I feel like the Cowboys' offensive line is more talented there. Last week, Xavier Suofilo uh, had a really good a really good game against Aaron Donald. Now, he got some great help from Travis Frederick on some late chips, but even still, he held his own against Aaron Donald. So that was pretty impressive because he's been – Maybe the weakest, absolutely the weakest link on this offensive line. But I look at the roster up and down, and I agree. I think Dak Prescott's better than Carson Wentz. I think the running backs are better, even backups and starters. And I think the wide receivers, maybe Ertz, because Jason Witten, yeah. as, as an aged wide, uh, tight end, he's still good, but he's no Zach Ertz. So aside from that, though, and that's, that's actually where the Cowboys' defense is going to get the biggest struggle is trying to figure out how to stop him. Maybe they move Byron Jones down on him like they've done before, but their linebackers can't co- cover Zach Ertz, and not many can. I, I don't think it's on Jason Garrett's job uh, for this week. He got them to. He gave a great speech last week that, uh, that convinced them to play inspired football. He showed them the video uh, of them playing great, uh, which seemed like a very desperate move to go – do something like that, but this is a desperate time for a coach that might be in his last year. I don't think it's this game. I think it's whatever happens, whatever happens for the rest of the season after after they get eliminated from the playoffs. If they make it to the Super Bowl, which huh, like that's gonna happen, uh, then this, <laughs> the coach could be back. Man, that'd be weird. So I guess my question, Corey, is: Are you guys in Dallas and your fans like depressed or really <laughs> happy? After that week, you know, that game last week against the Rams. Because on the one hand, you could be like, oh, man, that's who we are. We're awesome. We could go for a Super Bowl run. On the flip side, it's like, dude, we have these guys and we're 7-7. Seven and seven. We have the same record as the Chicago Bears, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Eagles who are playing with a bunch of practice squad guys right now. Like, I- I'm just curious because you could really take that either way. Uh, yeah, sorry. I got a little distracted. I wiped something off my screen. And as soon as I did that, you wiped your face. So it was really weird. It freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> uh, the, uh, well, I, I wasn't, I wasn't depressed about that. And I don't think a lot of the fans are depressed, but they are like, where's that team that, why haven't we seen that team all season? You've seen it about three times this year. Uh, you saw it against the giants. You saw creativity in the offense. You saw a, a quarterback that was doing some crazy things that you hadn't seen him do with the Scott Linehan offense before. And then so you're like, OK, that's that's the team that they're going to be, because the big question marks coming into the season were how will Dak Prescott respond with Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator? And I don't know if Kellen Moore has struggled to try and put it all together all season because it's his first year as offensive coordinator or if he's changed his mind about some things and tried, you know, been in the lab a little bit, trying to figure some things out. But his offense has never been consistent against Philadelphia the last time. Ezekiel had over 100, uh, 100 yards, and he's the only running back as a starter that's had over 100 yards against Philadelphia this year. Rashad Penny had, what, 129, but he was not the starter Chris Carson was in that game. So I think the uh, I think that the we've been trying to figure out what the offense is all season and how they can sustain uh, consistency. But then you see that Rams game and you're like, that's the team. That's creative running right there. You saw creativity using Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott in the run game. And maybe that was out of necessity. 
because of Dak's shoulder. I'm not really quite sure about that, but that was a team that you said, okay, that's it right there. The defense has played very uninspired all season. They haven't been tackling. They haven't, they, they've been very poor at tackling, as a matter of fact. And I, I wonder if they've kind of been saving up because the only thing that mattered for Jason Garrett, the only thing that mattered for this team was proving that they were a playoff team. And so there's this, I think the fan base, me mostly, and I keep pushing this, is holding and crossing the fingers and saying, please just say that you've been slow playing us all season long and that you're going to show a, a full a full deck of aces and it's going to be an amazing game here down the stretch because that's all I can hope right now because the inconsistency has been sad. Lamar Jackson versus Russell Wilson. Who is the MVP? Who is the prototype NFL quarterback for 2019 and beyond? And if you started your organization with one or the other, who would it be? We asked Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus about that earlier this week. Here's his answer. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. It's basically the MVP debate this year, right? Um, I, I think Russell Wilson is a slightly better quarterback overall, but Lamar Jackson right now is dominating teams because of the offense they put him in, because he's developed as a passer in a way that he wasn't a season ago. You know, obviously, he's arguably the most dynamic rushing threat in the NFL at any position. Now he's become a good enough passer that teams can't just forget about that. We've seen you know, the Jets, we've seen a couple of teams recently basically try and take away the run game and dare him to win as a quarterback. And he can now. This year he can. Before he couldn't. You know, I think you still lean Russell Wilson because I think he's sort of scheme proof. I think you can put him in any scheme in the NFL and he's still one of the best quarterbacks in football. I don't know that that's true for Lamar Jackson. I don't know that it isn't, but we're, we haven't seen it. So I, I think you got to lean Russ. Wow. Sam Watson. PFF.com, got to check them out. The best information on the NFL and college football. This season, made no secret about that. Lamar Jackson's my MVP. Lamar Jackson's the guy I'm taking to win a football game the rest of the way this year. Per that question you asked him, if I'm talking about the next five years, oh, that's a tough one. That's a real tough one for me, but not for you, huh? Why are you taking Russell Wilson, Ross, over Lamar Jackson I'm torn. I lean a little bit Lamar in the short term, Russ in the long term. Yeah, to me, it's Russell Wilson, and it's not a whole lot of hesitation. Huh. Uh, and the reason is because of the sample size, among others, right? I mean, Russell Wilson's been playing now since 2012. And by the way, he's never, I repeat, ever missed a game. This will be his 140th straight start to begin his career, regular season and postseason. I just don't know if you can count on that from Lamar Jackson, especially with his style of play. That seems unlikely. I also think that some percentage of Lamar Jackson's success is tied directly to the fact that his team, the Baltimore Raven, has a competitive advantage schematically right now in every game they play. I don't know how much that advantage is going to be next year. I still think they'll have an advantage. I don't know if it'll be as significant, and I don't know how that will impact Lamar Jackson's production and effectiveness. I think Russell Wilson's style is never going out of style. There's nothing new that defensive coordinators can throw at him. And I'm extremely impressed by Lamar Jackson. But Russell Wilson, 
is incredibly clutch. Seahawks are 10-1 and one in one-score games this year. He's got a better yards per attempt than Lamar Jackson. He's got less interceptions. He's more accurate. I just, to me, I think he's more sustainable, and we have a bigger sample size. Hi, everyone. This is Dave Briggs. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.